transition. We're going to jump into the sermon for tonight. Um, we are starting a new series today. Uh, we are going to start uh, in the book of Romans. And so we're going to spend um, a large chunk of time here, probably the next uh, culmination of the next year in the book of Romans, taking a break periodically to teach on different things. And uh, Romans is a powerful book. It's a really deep theological book. But our hope um, is for that not to scare us away. But we just want to break it down verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and understand um, what the Apostle Paul is teaching. And so if you have your Bibles, um, turn to Romans chapter 1. Um, if you're familiar at all with your Bible, um, You'll know that there is an Old Testament and a New Testament. The New Testament is kind of the right third of your Bible. Uh, the book of Romans, uh, go, it comes after the book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. And if you're also wanting to use your phone, um, you can uh, go to the YouVersion Bible app and you will find all of the notes there as well as uh, you will find a Bible Project overview video of the first four chapters of the book of Romans. If you've uh, been here for any length of time, you've heard us reference the Bible Project, and um, it's an incredible resource um, to understand different topics, themes, words in the Bible, as well as overview videos um, of the different books of the Bible. And so I would encourage you to check it out. It's only seven minutes, and uh, I know that you watch more than seven minutes of YouTube um, in the day, so you can carve out seven minutes for this Bible Project video, and it's super helpful. Um, but as you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of background, uh, some context um, for the book of Romans. So it was written by a guy named Paul. He was formerly known um, as Saul, and he belonged to a group of Jewish teachers called the Pharisees. Uh, these men were devoted to the Old Testament teachings and traditions that were put into place by God. Um, and these, these men and most of these Pharisees saw the person of Jesus and the people who followed Jesus as a threat to the Old Testament, the prophecies, and the traditions that were put into place by God. Um, after Saul uh, had a radical transformation, uh, a radical transformational encounter with Jesus while on his way to a city to arrest and persecute and kill uh, Christians, uh, he met Jesus, and from that moment on, he went by his Greek name. His Greek name is Paul, and the name Paul is what um, we refer to him as and is written in the New Testament um, after this point. And he began to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And some might call him, as the Bible Project calls him, an official repre a representative of Jesus, and he went around the Mediterranean Sea and parts of Europe and Asia teaching to non-Jews as well as Jews about Jesus, the risen Savior. And as he began traveling around, teaching in all of these different cities, um, he started these small communities of believers, and these small communities of believers were called churches. And periodically, he would write letters to these different churches, and these letters were filled with a bunch of different things. They were filled with encouragement to them. Uh, it was filled with teaching, and it was also filled with correction. And the letter to the church in Rome was no different. Uh, this, this letter was written fairly late in Paul's life. It was written about, about A.D. 57. Um, and the church, like we said a few moments ago, the church in Rome was made up 
predominantly of Jews um, and non-Jews, about about half and half, 50%. Um, and then to us, this doesn't seem like a big deal. We're like, okay, there's Jewish people going to church together, and there are non-Jewish people, also known as Gentiles, um, going to church together. I don't understand why that's a big deal. Um, and here's the thing. The, the reason it was such a big deal was the Jewish people had so many cultural traditions and ways of life that were so closely tied to their relationship with God, and so to introduce people um, into your belief system that don't hold those same traditions, don't um, aren't required to adhere to those different traditions, um, it would be a huge shock to you, and it would be a big adjustment to you. And so, as you can imagine, because humans are humans, this created a lot of tension. When you have two different groups of people that are different from one another. And in the midst of this, the emperor of Rome expelled all Jewish people from the Roman Empire and said, go away. And then about five years later, um, a new emperor came in. He's like, what the heck? And this is not like historic. That's not what they said. But they were like, hey, Jewish people, you can come back to Rome. And so they're like, okay, awesome. So all the Jews come back to Rome, and then they come back to the church of Rome, and they're like, what the heck? Like, this doesn't look like the church that we left five years ago. Like, this looks super Gentile-ish. Like, it doesn't look Jewish. You guys aren't doing these different things. And so, once again, there was tension within the church. And you might have experienced um, something like this when you go on summer break from school, as all of you are on summer break. Um, you get busy with family trips. Um, you get uh, busy with different hangouts with different families and, and friends. Um, and you don't see certain people that you hang out with in school. Uh, so when you return to school, there might be some differences with the friends you had um, because maybe they changed, maybe you changed, um, and that change didn't happen together. It's not like you guys hung out all summer and you kind of changed and adapted and morphed um, together. And uh, this might cause a rift in your friendship. Um, and you have a decision to make. Do we address these different things, or do we uh, go on pretending that there's nothing wrong, or do we part ways? So if you desire to continue to be friends with this person, you are going to do your best to try to like work out your differences, try to work through the tension, and you're going to try to be unified as friends and you're going to work through those struggles and sometimes you work through those struggles with the help of someone on the outside maybe that's a parent maybe that's a youth leader or a trusted adult and sometimes we bring those people in to be like okay I need some help through this and so this is what we see in the book of Romans the church was had some tension they have some rifts they had some struggles and Paul wrote the letter to this church to help them find unity on the common ground that they had and that common ground was they both received salvation by their profession of faith in Jesus and now were part of the family of God and so the goal of this letter was to provide the fullest explanation of Jesus's life death and resurrection and the implications of that. And so this letter is divided into four different sections. Um, and you could uh, break down uh, the four different sections of the book of Romans this way. And you could break down uh, explaining the gospel this way. Chapters one through four, it reveals the righteousness of God. 
chapters 5 through 8, he creates a new humanity because of uh, the righteousness of God and the justness of God. And then chapters 9 through 11, you could summarize it, how God fulfills the promise to Israel. Um, And then the last few chapters is talking about how all of that unifies the church. So now that we have a full picture of what this letter is about, its purpose, and where um, and and what we are to get from it. Wow, I could not read that sentence. Um, let's stand together, and we are going to read the first 17 verses of Ro- Romans chapter 1. And could my reader come? I would call you by name, but I don't remember who you are. Isabella? Okay, I didn't write it down, and so everybody give Bella a hand as she comes to read verses 1 through 17. a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son who who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith to, for his name's sake. And you, are, you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy, pe- to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God and our, God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. I pray that now at last by God's will, the, God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have, prevent, but have been prevent, prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the, the, then to the Gentiles, or Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteousness, or the righteous will live by faith. Awesome job. Good job, Bella. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Whew. That was no joke right there. 
What we're going to do is we're going to break down these 17 verses, and I believe you can break them down into three different sections. And so we're going to kind of walk through them verse by verse, section by section, and then we're going to summarize it all at the end. So let's look at verses 1 through 7 first. And if you were to summarize this first section, you could summarize it this way. Paul is a servant and apostle that is called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So in verse 1, Paul says that he is, quote, a servant of Christ Jesus, and he's also an apostle for the gospel. So we have to ask the question, what does that mean? Because these phrases are pretty unfamiliar to us because we don't use these terms in our everyday language. Um, And as I said earlier, Paul encountered Jesus on the road to a town where he would arrest, persecute, and most likely kill the people who professed faith in Jesus. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, God reveals that he has chosen Saul for a special assignment. Let's read verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So God God said that Paul was to be his chosen instrument to proclaim his name. And so the Greek word to uh, that we that we get the word chosen means that it was no ordinary person who chose Saul. This, this specific Greek word means that God divinely chose Saul to carry out this work. God not only chose Saul, but God told him audibly in person on the road to Damascus, the city called Damascus. And so the word used in the Bible to describe a sent one or someone who is set apart for the gospel um, to be used by God is not the same as we see here. You might read in other parts of the Bible that um, believers are to be sent, that Jesus is sending us out. Um, All believers are, yes, set apart and sent to be used by God, um, as said in John chapter 9 and John 20. But Paul also says that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, which means that Paul has attached himself to Jesus as to whom he belongs. And in this cultural context, they would reference themselves as servants of the king, meaning their allegiance was to the king. And so Paul is saying, it's kind of a a hot take, but he's saying my allegiance ultimately is not to the king. It is not to the emperor. He's saying that my allegiance is to Jesus alone. So what should Paul do now that God divinely chose him to preach the gospel? So let's go to verses 2 through 4. It says, The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is to preach the good news that the prophets of Israel had been saying for hundreds and thousands of years. And that Jesus was to come from the line of King David. He was, to, he was proved to be the Son of God through the power of his resurrection from the dead. And he encourages his readers in verses 5 through 7 um, by reminding them that it is by his grace that they have received salvation which is to produce obedience 
to God. And so Paul continues his greeting. This whole entire thing is like a, hey, what's up to the church in Rome. And so he continues his affections for them in Romans 8, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 15. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in teaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So this second section of verses 8 through 15 can be summarized this way. The church must encourage one another with the gospel. So I want you to think of something. Um, When you find out that someone has been thinking about you, uh, maybe a friend, this friend follows Jesus, and maybe they let you know that they've been praying for you, and maybe they let you know that they want the best for you. Uh, What do you feel in those moments? You feel loved, right? You feel seen, like you feel wanted. Um, it makes you feel like you're not alone either, that there is someone that's not prompting you. You're not in a texting conversation. Just out of the blue, they're like, hey, dude, love you, man, just thinking about you. Um, it shows that they genuinely care for you. Um, when you get those text messages or those DMs or whatever it is, it makes you happy. And you could think of Rome, this part of Romans chapter 1 as a text message to the church in Rome, letting them know that he cares for them, that the Apostle Paul prays for them and is encouraged by their faith in Jesus. And before we move on to uh, the last section, something worth noting is that Paul does not want to go to this church in Rome only to preach. He's not going there just simply to teach, he also wants to be, verse 12, mutually encouraged by one another's faith. And this greeting reminds us that our faith in Jesus is not just about us as individuals, but it's as a collective group. Paul, Paul David Tripp, he's a writer and a pastor, he said this on this topic. He says, one of the themes that courses through the New Testament is that your walk with God is designed by God to be a community project. Anonymous, consumerist, isolated, independent, self-sufficient, quote, Jesus and me, Christianity, is a distant and distorted copy of the faith of the New Testament. You and I were not created or recreated in Jesus Christ to live all by ourselves. The biblical word pictures of the temple and body decimate any idea that healthy Christianity can live outside of essential community. So the writer of this quote and the Apostle Paul understand that our relationship with Jesus is not to be lived out alone. 
It's not meant for me to just live out my faith in the privacy of my home, in the privacy of my own mind and my own heart. Instead, it's to be lived out together and to use our freedom in Jesus to encourage one another. And this contributes to not feeling alone in your struggles. And as you live out your faith with honesty, you can walk through your struggles with the help of the Holy Spirit and the body of believers. And the church is not just tonight. The church is not just Wednesday night youth gatherings. It's not just about a Sunday morning gathering or a small group. The church is a group of people who are intentionally learning and living out the grace of Jesus and intentionally being part of one another's lives. The church is living. The church is a people. The church is not a building. And this gospel that Paul is going to be teaching all throughout this letter to the Roman church is transformative, but it can also cause us to shrink back and be ashamed of our beliefs. So he encourages them in verses 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so if you were to summarize this section, you could summarize it this way. The gospel reveals God's righteousness and justice. And many have used these two verses as the theme of the entire book of Romans. So Paul is boldly declaring that he has nothing to be ashamed of. He says that there is nothing within the gospel he needs to suppress or hide because it is good news. And the reason he is saying this in the opening greeting of the letter could be that some of the believers in Rome were hesitant about their faith. These believers in Rome were being persecuted, some killed for their faith in Jesus. And a human response to these outside factors is to become timid. It's not um, an unusual response for when someone wants to kill you to like run from that and to not proclaim that and not to let people know that you follow Jesus. That's a really normal response. But Paul is saying that if all of this is true, if the gospel is true, if a person repents of their sin, trusts Jesus as their Savior, and is then justified from their sin and is adopted into the family of God, what is there to be ashamed of? Speaking as a normal human being, um, this is a struggle. It's hard to stand out and believe something different than the masses. Trying to be the light of Jesus in places where you potentially won't be received can be intimidating. Because maybe deep down you want to love people. And even if you believe differently from them, you still want to love other people. But it feels like um, they are rejected when others have tried to stand out, when they've tried to be different. And so my encouragement is this, learn to listen. Learn to genuinely hear 
what another person is saying. Genuinely hear what they're trying to say. And I was listening to a podcast earlier today, um, and he was talking about if you are unwilling to truly understand what a person believes or why they believe it, why should they ever listen to you about Jesus? Like if you are in a a discussion with somebody and all you're trying to do is prove them wrong and why their position sucks, why should they ever listen to you? And this was like deeply convicting to me. Take the time to understand and even find common ground about what you both believe and go from there. Remember, we as people are not called to save people. That's Jesus' job. Our job is to bring glory to God through how we treat others, how we talk to others, and how we love others. And this theme of of God's mercy and God's justice will be woven throughout um, the entire book. And I'm excited for us to work our way through that. And Paul ends in verse 17 by reminding the reader that our right standing with God is by faith alone. It's not about the right things that you've done. It's not about the good things that you've done. It's about what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through the resurrection from the dead. And the gift of being saved from sin is received by our proclamation of our faith in Jesus. And if you're sitting here tonight and you've never done that, I would, con- I would ask you to consider making that decision. And it's almost as if, like, we have, like, this, these keys to a door. And oftentimes we like to take the keys for ourselves um, or the keys to a car. And we're like, you know what? I'm going to get in the car myself. I am just going to do what I want. I'm not going to answer to anybody. I am going to do what I want to do, what I think is right and what I think is good. And I'm just going to kind of vibe it out and we'll see where it goes. I would encourage you to hand back those keys to God. And allow God, the creator of your life, who loves you deeply, who loved you enough to die for your sins so that you could live a full life in unity with God. And if you want to make that decision, I'm going to pray in just a moment. And I want you to pray your own prayer of confession of your sin and realization that you need Jesus as your Savior. And through that invitation and through that declaration, you are inviting him into your life um, as your Lord and Savior. And as you make that declaration and as you make that confession, I want you to thank him for his grace and his mercy on you. So as we pray in just a moment, if that's you, I encourage you to do that. And if you do decide to do that, I would encourage you to talk to your small group leader and tell them that you've made that decision. And they will, um, one, be excited for you. And two, um, get you a Bible if you don't have a Bible. And three, um, walk alongside of you and help you to know and understand who Jesus is in a deeper way. So as we wrap up tonight's sermon, I want to summarize this in the, the text this way and everything that we've talked about. It's this, the gospel is good news of God's justice. It encourages us to practice it together and not to be ashamed of what God has done. So let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of salvation. Jesus, we thank you for your life, your death, and your resurrection. And it provides us an opportunity to live in unity with our creator. 
And God, I pray for um, the people that are in this room tonight that maybe um, are on the fence of whether or not they want to surrender their lives to you. Lord, I pray that in this moment, they would feel a conviction to um, just to remember their sin, to remember the things that they have done to rebel against you, and that they would feel that conviction to, um, to repent of that and to surrender their life to you, to make you the Lord and the Savior of their life. And Lord, I pray that as they do that, they experience um, freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage in their life, and that they would um, grab a hold of the new life that they have in you. And Jesus, I pray for the believers in this room, the ones that have already given their life to you, we pray that, um, that this text would be an encouragement to them, that we don't have to be ashamed of what, of what you have done in our life, that we can be confident in the things that you have done. We can be confident in the transformation that you have done in our life. And, Lord, we want to be thankful for that. So, Lord, I pray that as we jump into our small groups and as we have a conversation um, on a few questions, Holy Spirit, would you guide our conversation? Would you soften our hearts to the things that are said? And uh, we pray that we would be encouraged uh, as we leave tonight. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.